Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we study five topics in social media and write you a five paragraph essay on what we learned so that you can steal our homework and be the smartest kid in class. Last week, we celebrated our 100th episode. And this week, we are back to the basics with Social Media 101. Your tutors this week are the crew that you know and love. We've got Tommy Boyce, who is a straight A student. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. And we've got Amanda Davis, who has a 4.0 GPA. Hi, Amanda. We'll pretend that that's true and that I didn't skip class. (laughs) I'm Joey Scarillo, your class president. And here are the five things. First up, YouTube outlined their 2022 platform and Tommy will tell us about it. Then Amanda shares new insights on the impact of TikTok clips in the purchase journey. For our third thing, Tommy tells us about Tailwind, who detailed their 2022 design trends for social media. Next, Amanda chats with us about Snapchat, who will place ads within the stories and share earnings with creators. And finally, Tommy talks Twitter, who announced the winners of its Brand Bowl, Super Bowl campaign awards. All right, class is in session, Tommy. Talk to us about YouTube's 2022 platform updates. Yeah, so 2022 is still kicking off, um, I guess. And in that spirit, YouTube Chief Product Officer Neil Mahan offered an inside look at this year's new products, tools, and features for creators, viewers, and partners. In terms of creators, YouTube says that creators are the heart and soul of the platform, and we want them to always be able to fulfill their most ambitious creative goals, to give them every opportunity possible. The platform is looking into testing other ways for creators to monetize on shorts, like exploring new ways for short creators to build branded content through Brand Connect, integrating fan-funded features like Super Chat into shorts, and bringing the ability to shop directly from a short. They'll also introduce collaborative live streaming, which... you probably guessed it, allows creators to go live together and create even more interactive streams for their audiences and a whole bunch of other stuff in terms of creators. In terms of partners, Mahan emphasized shoppable videos, live shopping, and other ways how shoppable features appear across the app. With shoppable videos, like the platform's partnership for Black Owned Friday, users can shop tagged items in their favorite creators' videos. Mahan promised that the platform will keep investing into live shopping, which last year showed tremendous engagement, a total of over 2 million views and 1.4 million live chat messages. Now, all of these developments are exciting, and I think right on the money in terms of what both brands and creators and consumers are looking for right now from YouTube. YouTube understands, rightly so, they actually like said it verbatim, that creators are the heart of their platform, especially at a time when creators are joining and becoming loyal to TikTok, one of YouTube's, I mean, probably YouTube's biggest competitor at the moment, and are trying to form relationships and loyalty of creators of their own. I think these developments will give both creators and marketers and brands a lot more room to play in and a lot more opportunities to experiment and reach consumers in different ways. The investment in live stream shopping and branded content in shorts, all these things will help us to become more organically present in the feeds and videos of viewers, which seems to be the goal from this. And I think it's a much better step forward than just being, you know, pre-roll, something people either ignore or skip through. So I'm excited to see how creators use these new features and how YouTube continues investing in their partners, viewers, and creators throughout the year. Yeah, that's really exciting. Amanda, it sounds like there's something in here for everybody. So what do you think is the most exciting piece of this for brands? 
I think what's interesting is YouTube is carving themselves out as a very specific kind of content experience that is to me, slightly different than what we see on TikTok, even if we're looking at short form video or what we see on Facebook or Instagram, that might be a little bit more long form. So I'm curious to see exactly how this grows and where they invest in the kind of content that they deliver. But it does seem like they have their eye on trying to differentiate between the rest of the platforms while still kind of keeping up and being competitive. That was great, Amanda. All right. Speaking of TikTok, let's jump over and chat about their new insights into the impact of that TikTok clips have in the purchase journey. So this is pretty interesting and another platform that's releasing and being really transparent about how consumers are interacting on their platform. TikTok has released a new report following some behavior of the other platforms like Twitter as well that details and adds a lot of transparency into how users are interacting with the content on their platform, specifically branded content and what that means for sales. I think what's interesting about this report is TikTok has specifically set up the channel as not being in one particular part of a sales funnel, but what they call an infinite loop with no start or end. And what they mean by this is whether it's in the discovery phase, the consideration phase, reviewing after the consumer receives the product or creating UGC and and participating and engaging, they have very active audiences that are paying attention to each part of this process. There's a lot of content in this report. We've pulled out a couple of the really interesting pieces. One of the big takeaways that we noticed is that 49% of TikTok users say the app is a good place to discover something new. That's almost half of the people on the platform. And, you know, we know the power of TikTok made me buy it. So this isn't incredibly surprising. But knowing 35% of users buy something they see from the platform, that's more than a third of users. And that number related to other platforms is incredibly high. What I think is interesting about this too, though, is understanding the discovery and the purchase actions of people on the platform. Alternately, 29% of users say that they weren't able to buy something that was trending on the platform because it was sold out. So I think perhaps what's happening is brands and products are not realizing how much of an active purchase funnel this is. I think it's an important part of when you have branded content and specifically product content that you're really supporting this with what your e-commerce and social commerce strategy is. Some other big takeaways I found interesting. After someone has made a purchase on the platform, 20% of users make a how-to or a tutorial TikTok using that product. One in four people have shown off the product in a post and tagged or posted directly to the brand. So there is this two-way conversation happening that you really don't see on most platforms. And then 28% end up following the brand on TikTok. So again, you have these kind of repeat buyers that are fans of the brand and kind of become part of this community. So I think, you know, it's easy to look at more straightforward product and conversion numbers. But we also need to consider how TikTok users are creating additional funnels and additional sales flows where they're recommending it to their friends. They are starting a conversation that really extends beyond the one-to-one interaction with that branded content. It's not different than what we consider word of mouth. um, But I think moving into like a Web3 world where all of these metrics are going to kind of shift and change what our KPIs are, it's important to look a little bit more holistically at how people are deciding to make purchases. Yeah, I always think it's interesting when um, platforms put out these sort of infographics like this, we get this new data set. And so what I always try to think about is like, what is the most exciting piece of it as a user? So I'm curious, Tommy, as a as a TikTok user, does any of this data surprise you or is there anything that jumps out to you in particular? 
I don't think I'm surprised, but it really makes sense, Amanda, that figure that one in four people will make a video with the product they purchased because I see that over and over, not even just like, you know, you think of like probably makeup products or things like that, but I've seen like it's fashion week this week in New York. So I'm seeing a lot of people showing off brand hauls and things like that. And that's such a kind of pillar of the platform showing off like what you've got that I don't even recognize the fact that that's like a notable figure in terms of the consumer journey and does wonders for actual like branded marketing. I think also with TikTok, I always have to consider just the numbers. Like when you say a third of people have purchased on the app, I have to remember that, oh, that's like 330 million people. Like this is not a small number. I personally have to always check that TikTok is a juggernaut and that people use it in much different ways. And so it's just another reminder that again, it is TikTok's world. We're all living in it. And I think also the fact that things are sold out too, it just, it shows how hungry people are for social commerce and how much of a growing market it is and how important it is more than ever to have a real strategy in terms of getting your product out and actually, you know, feeding the people. Yes. (laughs) Feeding the people, Tommy. (laughs) All right. Let's jump over to our third thing. For all you design lovers out there, this is the story for you. Tailwind detailed their 2022 design trends for social media. Tommy, why don't you take us through it? Yeah, so Tailwind is a marketing website and service that specializes in designing photos to be posted on social channels. And they released a report forecasting this year's trends in social media design. And it's it's really fun. There are several things they got into, one being color trends. Um, apparently in 2022, the outdoors are in. This year's major color trend is all about cool, misty greens and rich clay tones found in nature. Hopefully I'm selling this. And the report also talks about how bold things are happening in color. Literally new color drops, Pantone took an unexpected step this year. The company didn't choose a color of the year. They created one. Very Perry. It's sort of, it's a, it's like a violet scenario. And this is direct copy because I'm not an artist. This confident, curious color stands at the crossroads of color in the digital world and the physical world and shines in palettes with bold hues, energetic blues, and moody neutrals. And wrapping up colors, it detailed how both nostalgia and bubblegum pop will be important this year. And in the patterns and shapes department, apparently... Checkerboard is back. You can blame Willow Smith and Olivia Rodrigo and the pop punk revival for this. And Cottagecore is leading to a bloom and stenciled florals and Zen-inspired lines. Matisse-inspired motifs will all have a moment this year, according to the report. And there's a lot of really cool stuff in this. Again, I'm literally, I'm not an artist, so get it from the source. But to me, this highlights something important about consumers, the importance of nostalgia. Rightfully, we're all, you know, a little stressed, not even a little, we're all stressed and sad and sleepy. It's 2022. So I think we turn to the past as an escape to the aesthetics of early Paramore, to the outdoors and memories we had, to Y2K and bubblegum pop. I think it's important for us to, you know, creatives and also as brands who use social media to recognize this fatigue that we really all have and recognize the importance of nostalgia. And some already are. We'll definitely probably get to that when we talk about the Super Bowl and its advertising. But it really is. It's not even just a trend. It's the wave this year. I think we'll have to have content that caters towards that or at least recognizes that. But something also I think this is highlighting is an embrace of technology and futurism, especially with Pantone literally making a new color. So I think the tension between nostalgia and the future is a very 2022 thing. And it'll be something for us to explore and figure out, not just throughout this year, but in the future. When you both see things like this come out where we're seeing color palettes and new typefaces that are, you know, geared towards the future or geared towards the present moment, do you look at those and think, 
yes, I definitely see that in the world? Or do you look at that and say, oh, this is the world as we wish it were? So it's sort of like, is it the world that we wish it were or the world as it is? And I'm curious if any of these palettes jumped out to you or if any of them, you know, really, you really liked any of them. Amanda. Yeah, I think that it's to cop out of an answer, but my legit opinion is that I think it's both. I think it is a little bit of trends of how we see, especially tones of colors shift through the years and understanding what is kind of an on-trend color and how does that tone start to evolve. Something that might have been really popular five years ago, a very bold kind of royal color might start to trend a little bit more natural. And I think understanding that those tones are kind of shifting a little bit, especially when we think about color and how it's used is a little bit of what gives us that runway and that lead up to what the future version of that tonal shift might look like. So again, I like what I personally see and, and everyone has an opinion. I think that might be slightly different, but is kind of the shift, especially again, over the last, I'd say five years of these very like bright, royal, intense colors kind of moving into these muted, organic, still playful shades that are happening. And I think that a lot of the colors and even that Pantone color, like for a purple, it's bright, uh, but it still has a touch of kind of withholding to it. So it's not incredibly intense and it can sit alongside these other popular muted colors like quite well. So I think it's it's a little bit of both in that way. Tommy, any thoughts? No. Again, I'm not an artist. Sorry. (laughs) I feel like I've done that twice. Sorry. No, that's totally fine. You know, I'm somebody who will still continue to wear all black, but you know, that's okay. I think these colors are great. Um, Very exciting to see this come through. All right, let's chat Snapchat, Amanda. They are placing ads within stories and will share the earnings with creators. Why is this important? You summed it up pretty distinctly. Um, Snapchat has announced there's going to be a new way for video ad content in their platform to be shown. I think it's a little bit new for this platform, which is why it's interesting. They're launching a beta test with Snap Stars, which are essentially influencers or celebrities on the platform, where they're going to start inserting ads within their publicly shared stories. And in return, we'll be splitting some of their revenue with them. So logistically, you can think of this similar to Instagram stories, but with one creator, if you're watching all 10 of their videos, you might see an ad in between them. But When we think about the monetization of it, it's a little bit closer to YouTube where the uploader kind of makes money off of inserting ad breaks into their content. So I think this particular model hasn't really been seen in the way that combines the function with the monetization options. And I think what's interesting is Many people think of Snapchat really solely as this like messaging direct photo sharing app as it was when it kind of first came out. But the CEO, Evan Spiegel, was actually quoted earlier this month saying that they've seen a lot less of that kind of activity of like posting and viewing stories between friends and a lot more of the behavior of actually like consuming content. They have Spotlight, which is essentially their kind of homepage of content to to get into. And of course, like more public facing stories that you can peruse your friend's feed and see it's similar to what you would see on Instagram stories. So I think it's a calculated move. I mean, they're doing this in beta. I think what they're going to want to look at is how many ad breaks is too many. You know, where, where do we lose the attention of the audience and where does it feel organic and, you know, interesting to the user without overdoing it. But I think it's an interesting tool for monetization that we haven't really seen used in this way on social platforms. Yeah, I mean, I think this sounds great for creators. I'm just curious, Tommy, do you think this will be good or bad for the end user? I don't think this will be bad for consumers. I think that people are probably already used to this 
sort of advertising happening. And so Snapchat is just another venue for it. I think people are getting used to somewhat more in your face advertising in this way, like happening between stories because Snapchat nowadays is happening as more of a place to go and experience content and less of what it used to be more like a YouTube, which advertising is plentiful there. And that's kind of the way that advertising happens on that platform specifically. I think that people will adapt and that it's just going to be another part of the process and eventually it'll be kind of the new normal for Snapchat. So I think, I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, thanks, Tommy. That uh, is an awesome take on this new Snapchat feature. But let's switch over to Twitter. This is like big drum roll. They announced the winners of its brand bowl uh, in the Super Bowl campaign awards. Tommy, who are the winners? So there are a bunch of winners. Sunday to me, you know, is Euphoria Day. But to several hundred million people in our entire industry, it was the Super Bowl last week. Congrats to everyone who had work that went up during the game. And Twitter announced the winners of its fifth brand bowl, including the brands that generated the most retweets, the most creative use of tweets, and the best real-time campaign adjustments, and a whole bunch of other ones. So the MVP being the brand that drove the most overall discussion among big game advertisers. For the fourth time in a row, Pepsi sponsorships, the halftime show, gave it a leg up and won the top award. This halftime show generated massive amounts of hype, rightfully so. It it was super fun. And that discussion helped propel Pepsi above and its brand missions above all others during the game. The brand that saw the most retweets on a Super Bowl campaign was FTX with the Larry David-led crypto commercial on crypto investing. That tweet's seen 172,000 retweets so far, but I do want to point out that it probably helps that the campaign also included a Bitcoin giveaway for retweets, which... I guess, if anything, shows that giveaways are pretty effective in driving engagement. The award for most creative use of Twitter went to Expedia, which responded to other Super Bowl ads with prompts to travel to various destinations based on each ad, like tweeting people to travel to LA in response to three of the halftime performers being California natives. Another category, Mr. Peanut won the real-time response vote for a tweet that played on the Coinbase ad that ran during the game, the one with the actual QR code, like the DVD menu going across all the corners of your TV screen. And I think in terms of lessons to take away from this latest Super Bowl and all its ads, there's not a lot of maybe strategic notes as most campaigns worked because a lot of them were from already big brands or franchises or involved major giveaways, boosting their numbers, I think. So the big lessons are, one, the power of giveaways and prompting users to engage. It works. But also responding to real-time trends and events like those tweets by Mr. Pina and Expedia. I think as long as you have a real creative plan in mind to respond and have the right allocation for people and creatives to actually you know, be in the war room and work during this game, you can get a lot of great content, see a lot of great engagement. I had no idea because I wasn't checking my phone as much during that game because I was, well, watching Euphoria. But I think that it just goes another step further to showing that your brand has personality and it has character. And it's really a way to get thumbs to stop and be like, oh, I didn't know that they're this funny or this, you know, creative. So I think that having a good plan in mind and being reactive can do wonders to just really furthering your brand, especially on a day that is as crowded as the Super Bowl, which is the biggest day in advertising. So Tommy, I'm sure you watched all the spots, at least on YouTube. What won the Tommy brand bowl? What was your favorite spot? I did go through all the spots the day after. And I really do think that Coinbase ad was because I, I watched till halftime um, and it was nine o'clock. But I remember we all were like taken aback. We thought our TV was broken and we were like, what is happening in front of us? So the fact that it was also it was a long buy, it was like a minute long, which obviously translates to probably several 
millions of dollars. So I think that ad really stood out to me because a lot of Super Bowl ads, you know, are based on celebrities and nostalgia, you know, movies, references. There was obviously the Mike Myers, um, Austin Powers commercial with, oh God, what's, is it Dr. Evil? Yes. Dr. Evil. I was like, oh, yes. I forgot the name. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so based on movies and celebrities. So that to me was, I think, really trusting an idea and trusting that it would catch people by surprise. And also it literally crashed Coinbase's website. There was that much traffic, which yeah, I think- Yeah, it didn't just, work for me. Yeah, yeah, which I think is remarkable. So I think that shows like, again, you don't necessarily need- to, well, you need to buy the actual ad time, which costs millions, but you don't need to spend a boatload necessarily on celebrity endorsements. You just need to have a really good, solid, creative idea. And also shout out to Gray's own Pringles ad, which I'm a massive fan of and got a lot of love. It's really great work. And yeah, I think it's again, like we don't necessarily have to fall down the rabbit hole of just doing the same old commercial every year. People can have new and fun, exciting things to have go up during this like most watched time of the year. Yeah, you mentioned nostalgia. It, it really did feel like this year was leaning heavily on millennial nostalgia, even down to the halftime show with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and company. And I don't know, it was it was interesting to see Jim Carrey again and Mike Myers and all these and all these folks from when we were growing up. Amanda, did, you, did any of those resonate with you? Yeah, and I think what was interesting is kind of the split this is this year, we obviously had the Super Bowl on Sunday and the Valentine's Day on Monday. And I think brands kind of co-opting one of those days and moments to have a conversation and then apply. I mean, nostalgia can probably be seen across any moment or holiday or conversation right now. Um, but I found it interesting how brands kind of decided when and how to show up and how their message was applicable to either of those. Excellent. Well, this was a great year and a great night for advertising. Everyone come together, watch the spots, have something to talk about on Twitter. I want to again, thank you, Tommy. And thank you, Amanda, for being with us here. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple or Stitcher or Pocket Cast or CastBox. Share the show with your friends, family, clients, coworkers. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, email those over to us at podcast at gray.com. Again, I'd like to thank Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. Class dismissed. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.